Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Hi, I'm Richard Gearhart, founder of Gearhart Law, a full-service intellectual property law firm. We're here on Passage to Profit to discuss entrepreneurs, small businesses, and the intellectual property that helps them thrive. I'm Elizabeth Gearhart, not a lawyer, but I work at Gearhart Law doing marketing, and I am thrilled about the people that we have on the show today. It's going to be very fun and very informative. Our first presenter is Jerry Ann Zan, love that name, and if you have kids that you can't bake cookies with or do whatever because they have such food allergies or sensitivities, she's got your solution. You can have fun with your kids in the kitchen, so stay tuned and listen to her. And our next presenter is going to be Daryl Job. So he's got a company that I just love the social component to what he is doing. He is an amazing man and he has an amazing company. You have to listen to what he's doing. It's such a great company for society. And then we have Brad Simon and Travis Grubb. And they have an incredible COVID-related invention that I really hope we see everywhere in the next couple of months, honestly. So stay tuned for these people. It's going to be a great show. They're very interesting people of fantastic companies. And our special guest this evening is Richard Lau, and we'll be talking with him in a bit. He's sort of the master of the creative online universe, so we're really going to be looking forward to speaking with him. But before we do that... IP in the news. Yep, that's the vortex between intellectual property and business. Vortex? Well, vortex. Don't you mean like the center of the Venn diagram or something? <laughs> to start with the interesting patent so back in 2004 this guy got a design patent he invented business cards made out of food edible business cards <laughs> edible business cards which was really a great idea back then because people were starting to take pictures with their phones and so you just take a picture of the card then you eat it back in the days when people actually met each other in person which seems like eons ago right Everybody was always trying to distinguish themselves. So I have a collection of business cards dating back to 1988. And, you know, they'd be surprised all of the different business cards that you get. Sometimes you got round ones or oval ones. The ones I really hated were the business cards that were like too big to fit in your wallet. It's like, you're making my life difficult for me to keep your business card, right? So why am I going to do business with you? But in any case, business cards have always been a way to try to distinguish yourself from the competition. Even going back to the ancient money changers in the olden times, you know, a trade a couple of shekels, uh, throw in a tuna fish sandwich. Business differentiation has always been the key to success. And a lot of people have done that with their business cards. Well, I would like to try it out if we ever get together again. I think I might get some chocolate fireside business cards. That sounds like a pretty good idea. <laughs> Just give them to people. Anyway, mm -hmm. on to the next thing. So Richard actually found something that is of true interest to our entrepreneurs here and people with businesses because it could have a profound impact on your business. So. The name of the company is Pixie. And as we all know, the creator of content, whether it's photographic or otherwise, owns the copyright. Unless there's some contract to the contrary, right? And so a lot of professional photographers, bloggers, they live by selling their photographic content online. And so what Pixie does is it looks for people who have taken those images and appropriates them without the owner's consent and uses them on their website. So this is kind of a two-edged sword for our listeners because I'm sure a lot of listeners don't appreciate that you just can't take pictures from another website without permission and use it in your website. On the other hand, if you're a creator, 
this is how you make your living. And so you want to be compensated for these photographs. And so Pixie is a service that uses artificial intelligence to search the web and look for matches between your content, the creator's content, and unauthorized content that is on websites. And, and they'll even send out a cease and desist letter, right? So I guess the question for the person who owns the picture, because the minute you take it, you own the copyright on it, right? Right. The question is, do you want to get paid for them using it or do you want them to stop using it? Right. And you would have both options. With Pixie. So they would send a letter saying either pay us or quit using it. And I can say within the last couple of years, we have handled a number of situations for clients who innocently copied a photograph from some other website and they used it on their own. And they'll get a cease and desist letter from an attorney and they'll say, okay, you owe us $5,000 for a license to use this content. And they're shocked that this could ever even happen. But it's important for users to know it's better to go to iStock and buy your photographs for the internet rather than have to hire a lawyer and negotiate. But if you do really love that picture and you want to keep using it, you don't necessarily have to spend $5,000. That's a starting point. You could probably negotiate that down. Sure. We've done that. And there's defenses and so forth. But the best thing is just not to put yourself in that position. If you're creating your own website, make sure that you buy photographs or take your own. And if you are a content creator and you want to police your content, then Pixie is a great tool for that. I think it's $99 for a whole year and it can yield a lot of benefits for the content creator. So tonight we have with us Richard Lau. He is the master of the online creative universe and he's created some fantastic companies and internet tools that just about everybody can use. He's the creator of Logo.com and Resume.com and also a conference called NamesCon. It's great to have you with us here, Richard. Welcome to Passage to Profit. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Elizabeth. It's an honor to be here. I'm a fan of the show. So why don't you tell us what it's like to be a serial entrepreneur? I mean, you start these businesses with the intent of selling them, right? Yeah, I, I go in with the exit in mind. So, you know, when I, I started my entrepreneurial journey, I was in my early 20s. Um, I'd had uh, very difficult bosses and someone said to me, you know, life's too short to work for bad bosses. And I dove into the entrepreneurial journey. I was 26. I came across the internet and came across domain names and built up a a domain name registrar. It was one of the first 30 registrars accredited to buy domains wholesale and then sell them to end users, register them for end users. And when I was 30, I was just flying high. I was making lots of money. Um, Business was fantastic. Moved from Canada to Bermuda as a tax refugee. And out of left field, I was 30 years old, three months old, um, son, my wife, uh, we were living high and just having a great time in Bermuda. And then I started passing blood, couldn't stand up. And I was diagnosed with colon cancer. And talk about getting smacked in the head, you know, out of left field. That changes your life. Back to the business side, my doctor's orders were to stop working. Um, You know, my first diagnosis was that I would have 18 months, um, six to 18 months to live and to get my affairs in order. But I beat cancer. It turned out that it was just a super fast growing genetic disposition. And thankfully, that was a benefit for me because it had grown so quickly, it didn't spread. And so I um, was able to have emergency surgery and no chemotherapy. But my goodness, it really, uh, you know, changed the uh, trajectory of my entrepreneurial journey in that moment. And so I was looking for a quick sale. And when you do something quick, you don't do it carefully. And we didn't do our due diligence with the purchaser. 
And so, you know, I'll give you the, the short version rather than the long version, but basically we didn't do our due diligence. We sold to a company that was doing Enron style accounting and fast forward one year and the company is putting everything up for sale. But the only thing that they really have a value is the asset that I vended in, which was at the time we vended it in was 3% of the, the company. And so you fast forward a year and now 99% of the company is that 3%. And so basically I walked away with a severance check and lost all of my equity. The cash that we did get uh, went to pay off the taxes to the CRA and pay off our lawyers. And that was it. Um, came back to, to Vancouver, uh, you know, tail between my legs and all my friends are like, oh, you're back from Bermuda, you're back from California, you must have made it big. And really I'm like, <laughs> you got $5 I can borrow? It hurts to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. What yeah. a story, which is really interesting because entrepreneurs work so hard to build up their businesses. They put everything into it. You did everything right, but at the end, things didn't quite work out on the business side. And in the meantime, of course, you had to cope with health problems. You're really to be commended for getting through all of that and pushing forward. And dusting yourself off, getting back up, and starting another company right away, right? That's pretty much it. Um, you know, I got back into the domain name business. I just dived into doing domain name brokering. So I was buying and selling domain names, just a one-man show. I took a break. I wanted to figure out something that I could do while working from home spending time with my family because I wasn't sure how long I had before um, cancer would reoccur. And so I was going in for colonoscopies every six months. It was touch and go for the first five years. And so, you know, it's been 20 years now, but I still go in for colonoscopies every year. It's not something that I'll ever get out of the shadow of. But yeah, I just dusted myself off and got right back on the horse. That's great. That persistence is so important. And that's the best example of entrepreneurial persistence I think I've ever heard. So kudos to you. So what are you doing now? Yeah, so, you know, um, being in the domain name space for 10 years um, led me into developing a conference, which we actually started. The, it was called NamesCon. We started it to benefit a, a water charity I've been involved in called Water School. You can go to waterschool.com. We developed that to about 1,500 people attending and sold that onto, it's now part of the GoDaddy family. So that's held every year. They actually just switched it to being on online. Being in the domain name space, I've got domain names that um, have come across my desk um, that I've either pulled in a partner to help fund or have funded it myself. But generally, we then build up a little stable or an inventory of domains that we would at one point like to develop ourselves. And so resume.com was one of those. Logo.com is one of those. You know, we have rides.com, face.com, hockey.com. And so we took resume and built that into a uh, resume builder where people, mostly university students, uh, high school students could build their resume and have that live overnight success of seven years, an office here in Vancouver and sold that to indeed.com, which is one of the largest job boards, if not the largest job board company in the world. We have a lot of listeners who want to promote events, create events like names.com. What kind of advice can you give them in building a company that is sort of a professional convention company? We had an interesting competitive landscape. We had one competitor who was very successful and they were charging you know, $1,500 to $2,000 per ticket 
certificate. And then we had ICANN, which is a government organization that oversees the internet and they hold their conferences and the attendance is zero. They do have to hold them in far-flung places. So your cost of attendance is really the flight to South Africa or the flight to London. But that was our competition is, you know, someone who's at free and someone who's at 2000. And so we said, okay, if we can drive a critical mass, if we can get enough people attending, then it will be a no-brainer that you will just have to attend. So what we targeted is we had a lot of content. So we had three tracks, three conference tracks. And we had all of those tracks be conversational. So instead of it being a single person who's doing, you know, inevitably doing an advertorial, it was four or five people talking, having a conversation on stage on a certain topic. And so by having three tracks and by having four or five people on each stage, you end up having a tremendous, you know, number of speakers. You know, we had, I think at our first conference, we had over a hundred speakers booked onto stages. And so each person who then is going generally then becomes an advertisement for the conference. What we found is that by having 100 people, the attendance then shot up to 300 just based on the entourage of the speakers. And so then the industry reach out quickly doubles that to 600. So at our first conference, we had 600 people attending. That's just one aspect, but I think that was probably our most key aspect is getting a lot of conversations, getting a lot of opportunity for others to get on the stage and not just have the spotlight on one or two people. That's great advice and something to be taken seriously because there are certainly a lot of events out there. And I would imagine that people are throwing virtual events now, the same strategy you think would work? Absolutely. You know, NamesCon Online just happened about two weeks ago. And they had a lot of speakers. They had a lot of networking opportunities. And it went on so well that people were asking about, you know, how can I watch the recorded sessions of the sessions I wasn't able to attend because there were multiple tracks going on at the same time. And also people were saying, hey, you know what we should have when we, when we do get back together in real life, we should actually have a hybrid event because there were so many good features about the online system that could carry over into the real life event. I think that that's going to be the wave of the future, actually. What do you think was the thing for your success? The uh, most important thing for my success is really just having that tenacity that um, you'll find in most entrepreneurs. Not letting life, when it punches you in the face, um, get you down because it's not if you will get punched. You know, like, um, you know, Richard, you, you said earlier, you know, Richard, you're doing all these things right. You know, there are a tremendous amount of things I do wrong. There's a tremendous amount of things that happen even when you are doing things right and you just get punched in the face, whether it's health, whether it's your personal situation, whether it's relationships whether it's finances or whether it's COVID. Life is going to punch you in the face and it's a matter of how you take that punch and how you react to that punch because life is what you make it. And so, you know, I could have become just a bitter, poor me victim or I could be like, you know what? Life is too short to dwell on that and just get back on the horse. And you only need to succeed big once. Each failure you have is just one step closer to that success. And you know, there's trite sayings like that, but they are things that you can adopt as something you live by and it will carry you through. Experience really is the best teacher for sure. And that is the life of an entrepreneur. It's the life of most people, but you never know what's going to happen when you wake up in the morning, but you have to be persistent and believe in what you're doing. And that's what keeps you going. So well said. What's your background? Are you an IT tech guy? Do you have a computer science degree? I mean, how did you figure out 
that getting into this tech space early like this was going to pay off for you? I was a business grad from the local university here, UBC, University of British Columbia. And I took marketing because that was the most general business uh, degree that I could get. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I know enough in terms of programming to be able to talk to programmers, but I couldn't program my way out of, you know, basic. So it's really something, especially now, you know, looking back 10, 20 years when I was first getting into this, it was a lot harder to develop a website, develop systems, you know, even for logo.com right now, when we first looked at launching logo.com, it was seven years ago, it was just too difficult. And so the software development kits that were available and the programming languages that were available were, it was just going to be too expensive. And so we actually shelved it um, and then, you know, dusted that off now. But, you know, in terms of my background, I, I surround myself with people that are smarter than myself. I've got a business degree, sure, but the school of hard knocks and the school of learning and emulating mentors is really what has driven me. I'm 50 years old now and I'm a bit more extroverted, but when my wife and I got married 30 years ago, I was introverted. And she was one of my mentors in terms of, you know, we'd get into an elevator uh, with, with a stranger. And by the time we got to the lobby, she would have them telling her their life story. And so that's something that I've actually adopted into my own life and reached out and built my own network. It's, uh, it's been a success in business. And so I've applied things like that to logo.com, where we allow people to just build a, a logo, you know, it's 20 minutes gets you a logo in tw uh, for $20. But there's so much more to it than that. And so um, there's relationships and networking that drive the success of the business. So when it gets back to like the domain brokering, is it a flooded market? And if someone's interested in kind of getting into that game, is it easy to crack? It is not easy to crack. It is a lot of work. Um, you know, I don't do the domain brokering anymore. There's younger guys and, and girls that are far more successful than I ever was. And it's a matter of putting in the time and cold calling, and my goodness, you, you really need to be able to work the phone, work the LinkedIn, and have just a, a, a salesperson that. So this was a fantastic segment, and we'll be back right after this message. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R. RTLAW.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And our special guest, Richard Lau. We've had a fantastic program so far. Richard has been very educational and very interesting. He's got a lot of great content. So if you missed the first part of the show, make sure you pick him up on our podcast, which should be available tomorrow. 
And now we have more fantastic stuff. Kenya Gibson from iHeartMedia has joined us with Power Move. Kenya, what's Power Move about this week? Power Move is all about talking about and congratulating those creators who are contributing to the culture. And this week, I wanted to publicly congratulate Charlemagne, co-host of the nationally syndicated radio show, The Breakfast Club. He is part of the iHeart family here, and he has recently co-launched the Black Effect Podcasting Network on the iHeart Podcast Network. It's going to be a compilation of different podcasts that give creators, specifically in the multicultural space, the opportunity to create and have a platform and have a voice. And I'm super excited for him and just wanted to publicly bless him and congratulate him on his new endeavor with iHeart. Yeah, we met Charlemagne when we used to go into the studio to tape. Wonderful, nice guy. We'll definitely be checking out his podcast. When is the network launching? It's slated to launch this fall. You should see some shows dropping in the next few weeks. Everybody's excited for him. Where will the content be available? It'll be available on the iHeartRadio podcast platform, just like this show. So it'll have all the podcasts will be up there on the network and you'll be able to pick through and listen to all the different creators that he's going to bring on and give an opportunity to. Awesome. Our next presenter is my (laughs) wife, Elizabeth Gearhart, who's going to be talking about her project Fireside. So Fireside, really Fireside Directory, is the first video online directory of small business. The way it works is I interview people about their businesses and unlike Passage to Profit with Fireside, I just let you do all the talking. I might ask you a question here or there, but it's your video. And then I put those on my YouTube channel and I put them on the website and it's still fairly new. It's almost been a year since I got the idea. I got the idea in October last year and I realized I had to move quickly to get this going because it was just so ripe. I started with attorneys. I started it in our own videography studio with a professional videographer and then COVID hit. And it actually helped the project, believe it or not, knock on wood, because people got more used to being on video because everybody was on Zoom. So now I'm doing the videos on Zoom. It's all free, putting them on my YouTube channel and on my website. And I'm doing what I can to SEO it right now. I have not presented this to people who would use the site yet because I have to get enough professionals on there, right? So that there's people on there when they go to look. But I'm posting every single day on YouTube because YouTube likes that. And uh, I really needed a video yesterday. <laughs> so you picked me on my way out of the house. She's Richard, like, Richard, can you do a video? So And I thought it turned out I, pretty good. Of course, good. I had no choice but to say yes. I yeah. thought it turned out pretty good. Originally, I was trying to help people through the interview process who were very uncomfortable being on video saying, let me hold your hand, we'll be on video together. But I found the interview format really works well because people are more relaxed and more authentic, I think. It's easier, right? Yeah, and the great part about the whole project is that if you're looking for an attorney, you can listen to them and find out what they're like before you pick up the phone and call. So you don't have to go down the page if you're looking for someone on the internet. You can actually see what your perspective professional or service provider is like before you make the phone call, and that saves you time. And it's also great for the providers because networking takes a lot of time if you're trying to build a business. And this is a way that you can network, you can link to your video, maybe your website doesn't handle video well or you don't have the technical skills to put the video on the website yourself. You have a place to point people and they can get to know you a little bit online first. Right. And I put links to the people's websites, both on YouTube and on the website. So you get two good links to your website from Fireside. 
website. So anybody that wants to do a video with me, just let me know. People could go on this website, fireside.directory, and you can sign up on my Calendly there. So anybody listening who has a business who wants to do it, anybody here who has a business, love to interview you. And it's a lot of fun. One last quick thing I'll say is that even though there may be a whole bunch of people in one category, so like right now, business coaches has, I think, six or seven people in it. They're all different. They're all doing slightly different things. And I have talked to a lot of marketing people and they all do it differently. It's really cool. Everybody has their own twist on it. So no two businesses are identical. So without further ado, I really am excited to meet our first presenter, Jerry Ann Zan. And I'm not going to talk about her company. I just think it's so cool. I went on her website. I will say I loved baking cookies as a kid. That was one thing that we did as a family activity. That's one thing I did with my cousins. We would do it all summer. We didn't have any food allergies, but if we had, Jerry Ann is who we would have gone to. So welcome, Jerry Ann. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me here today. This is very exciting to be here with all of you. At Little Gluten Free Chefs, we create baking kits that are designed specifically for children to boost their self-confidence and also to help children on restricted diets develop a positive relationship with food. From unicorn donut kits to pizza party kits to gingerbread house building kits, we have something for all seasons or for everyday fun. Some things that differentiate us from the other baking kits that are on the market are that first and foremost, we are, as the name suggests, we are totally gluten-free but we are also free of the top eight most common food allergens, sesame as well, and artificial food dyes. So this was very important for me when I started the business because my daughter has celiac disease and a dairy allergy. And aside from the challenges that come along with raising children with food allergies or celiac disease, there's something that the kids experience too. And that is the feeling of being left out because you look at you know, classroom activities or birthday parties, and oftentimes it's something that's not safe for them. And that started to chip away at their self-confidence. And as a mom, I just couldn't let that happen, right? So what I did is I started working with them in different ways. And the thing that helped them the most was getting them in the kitchen with me. They saw a plate of donuts at a party that they were drooling over. We went to the grocery store, we came home, we got messy, we got silly, and we made the best donuts ever. And it helped them so much to start feeling better about themselves and their situation that they are actually the ones that said to me, mom, there's so many other kids like us. You got to help the other kids too. And so that's how we started Little Gluten-Free Chefs. So how are you marketing your business now? Is it mostly online or how are you reaching people? It's 100% online at this moment. Um, all of our sales go through our website. And in terms of marketing, we've had word of mouth and social media for the most part. We've had some help from influencers who've gotten excited about it and shared the word. And it's been very grassroots in that regard. What do you get in a kit? What's inside the kit? In a kit, you get all the dry ingredients needed to make the recipe. You also get uh, any decorating supplies that you might need. Think about uh, piping bags or sprinkles or decorating tips. And then you also get whatever the featured baking tool is that you can keep in your house and reuse. And I should say, when it comes to the dry ingredients, there are so many different gluten-free flours on the market, for example, and they don't work the same in a recipe. They have different formulations. And so substituting a multi-purpose like you would in a whole wheat flour just doesn't work. So for us, giving them the dry ingredients 
we know it's a winner. We know it's going to work for them. So how do you manage the inventory for something like that when you have, I mean, I would imagine a lot of the ingredients have expiration dates. Well, it's a process. (laughs) (laughs) We have a few different things. We have anytime something comes into our facility, of course, we're looking at the lot numbers in case there's any recalls. We're looking at the expiration dates. We have an online system. And then also I'm a very visual person. So we've got, um, we've got stickers with expiration dates all over raw ingredients in our supply room. And then of course, we've got dry erase boards with exactly what we have, what we're about to run out of so that we can stay on track. When you launched the business, did you take a look at the competitive landscape and what did you find or did you see a hole? Well, it depends on how you look at it. Crowded marketplace as it relates to gluten-free cake mix, for example, or a top allergen-free cake mix, things like that. But what makes us different is we're much more experiential. They talk about experiential marketing and being able to really feel and live through something. And that's what our kids are about. It's not a quick pour this in, add some water, and you're done with your everyday cookie or brownie, it's going to take at least an hour to two hours of an activity where they're really experiencing. And one of the number one factors for us is if it doesn't make the kids go that, ooh, ah, then it's not good enough. Because we want them at the end to say, wait a second, I just made that mermaid cookie or I made that spiderweb cupcake next month for Halloween. I did that and then feel so proud of themselves that that is what just boosts their confidence. So to answer your question about why I felt there was a need, well, it's because there's really, and this kind of gets us on another topic, but there's a lack of transparency in, in food labeling, which is very hard for food allergy and celiac disease families. And so we don't always know what we're getting. And we wonder not just what do the ingredients say, but how was it prepared? How was it processed? Was it done on a shared line with an allergen that's not okay? If they do testing to see if there is gluten or another allergen in there, is it large batch testing? Is it individual batch testing? There's so many things that we have to go through that make it very hard for us as consumers to know what's okay to buy. So for us, I just wanted to strip all of that away. I I know what it's like as as a mom who's worrying. And so all of our products, one thing that's a huge differentiator for us and also makes our expenses higher is that we only source from gluten-free and top eight free facilities, not just the shared lines, the facilities uh, point blank period. And that is the same thing. As soon as I started the company, you know, nobody starts a company and says, hey, let me invest in a space for the company. No way you grow to that, right? (laughs) But in my case, I couldn't do that because then I wouldn't have been able to guarantee the safety by sharing, um, you know, a commercial kitchen or something like that. That was that was never an option. So we invested there so that we could have that promise. And I really think that's very unique to our space. I hope that a lot of people can find out about you because this is great for people with kids with food problems. Yeah, go to her website. She's got some incredible beautiful pictures and just made me hungry when I was looking at it. I like the unicorn. (laughs) Anyway, you're listening to Passage to Profit, The Inventor Show with Richard Elizabeth Gearhart and our special guest today, Richard Lau on WOR 710, The Voice of New York. We'll be right back. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearhart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearhart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy
strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. You know, the world is facing some very difficult problems right now with waste and landfills. And there's a lot of materials that are going into landfills that are going to take years and years and years to decompose. And those chemicals, they get into the groundwater, they get into the soil, and it's a real threat for everybody. And our next guest, Daryl Job, has a solution to this problem. Daryl, welcome to the show. Veracool is an environmentally friendly packaging company that focuses on insulation, other packaging materials, really, really focused on the environment and also a social impact. You know, how can we do both with just one company? And we've been impacting the market successfully. The market is definitely changing. Roughly around five years ago, I decided to take the leap of faith, uh, looking into the future and understanding that there was gonna be a transition transition from detrimental petroleum-based products and plastics into an environmentally friendly solutions. But how does it move forward and how our company is going to proceed and so on. And about 10 years prior to that, I came from the packaging industry. I had been building and designing packaging uh, with customers, medical and food customers throughout the industry. And in roughly 2009, I had some time to reflect on, you know, where's the market going to go? It slowed down. As you know, the, the housing crisis uh, hit us all and manufacturing shut down. And uh, when I took a step back, I analyzed my sales and I realized that the medical market was uh, something that was stabilizing our company and our sales. And the other manufacturing sectors were really impacted. So I decided to go there and I started understanding the need in the medical industry for insulation and all the insulation was detrimental. You know, EPS, styrofoam, uh, petroleum-based products, polyurethanes that were wreaking havoc on our environment. And as I pulled back, I noticed that bans that were implemented were done so because there was actually a solution. So for about two or three years, I started looking at solutions. How do I create solutions that are going to be beneficial for you know years to come and start reversing the impact that the detriment has created with packaging and so on? What exactly is it that your company makes? So what is the solution that you finally settled on for these challenges? 100% recyclable molded fiber coolers, also outdoor recreational fiber fiber coolers made out of paper waste and so on, post-consumer materials, and also starch-based insulation that is 100% recyclable when encapsulated in a paper film, plant-based products, post-consumer materials. How do we take what's already been used and turn it into an insulation source? And how do we take from Mother Earth and turn it into an insulation source so it doesn't wreak the havoc that you guys announced earlier? You're creating coolers, but instead of using foam, you're using natural materials that'll decompose after the carton is discarded. Yes. So for instance, what we do is we take uh, old corrugated boxes, for instance. So, you know, cardboard boxes, instead of them going to the landfills, they go to a recycling center. But what happens? It goes back into the paper stream. So we take those boxes. I don't know if you've seen some of our coolers in 7-Eleven and uh, Circle K and some places like that, but we mold a cooler out of old paper boxes that hold water now. So we use a uh, organic organic moisture barrier. So instead of going to the beach or picnics with a styrofoam ice chest, now you have a paper cooler that is robust, structurally sound, and cost-effective, and it works just the same. And uh, you take that cooler, 
you put it right back into the recycling stream and it comes right back again. And then we also have insulation. As you know, there's meal kit companies such as, you know, HelloFresh or Freshly and companies of that nature. And they need insulation to get their product from one location to another. So what we do is we provide an insulation source for that made out of a starch-based insulation. They use oil to make plastics and styrofoam is basically a plastic. So styrofoam, they use oil feedstocks at companies like Dow DuPont to make these plastics and these styrofoams. So really you're cutting down on that when you're recycling and reusing things, which is fabulous. And there's another social component that is very important to your company. Would you like to talk about that? Yes. So we focus on second chances. So we look at Veracool as a non-discriminatory hiring practices. As you look at formerly incarcerated unemployment rate is roughly at roughly 29, 30%. I come from that community. I was uh, incarcerated at the age of 14, uh, in and out of jail up until 23, uh, lived on the wrong side of the tracks. And I had to make a change roughly around 24 years old. And when I did so, you know, I was nervous. I didn't have an education. I dropped out of school. The last grade I completed was the seventh grade. Never went to high school, never went to college. So how does someone like me that wants to make a difference, wants to make a change, go back? You can't go back 10 years. How do you, you know, proceed? And uh, I got lucky. I was given an opportunity, but there's so many others that don't. So I said, how can I impact my community and get those that really, really do want to make an impact in their families' lives? You know, you shouldn't be judged on your past. So we created Veracool and now it's uh, Second Chances. Uh, partners that want to uh, manufacture or distribute our products, they also have to have 25% of their workforce that touches our product line, also formerly incarcerated men and women. It's gender identity, language barriers, special needs. My son has special needs. Uh, he was one of our first employees that we hired on and uh, now we're tapping into uh, the special needs and to support all those that need to supply an income for themselves and their family. I know what I'm buying. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to commend you for solving some socioeconomic things that are going on in our community because I feel like there is a hindrance for those who might have a past and, and they don't have the opportunities coming back into the workforce. So I just wanted to commend you for just taking that and nurturing it and, and sowing seeds back into the community so that it becomes a sustainable way for people to, you know, just thrive in life and just have a better future. You know, I, I've been checking out your packaging. I think it's a fantastic idea. And I believe it's all curbside recyclable other than the top pillow, right? So you've got the formed cooler that's made out of the fibers. It's lined with the water barrier. And then that top pillow, that's the, the only question I had is what happens to that? Is that recyclable and it's just not recyclable curbside or what? Actually, it's actually compostable. It's a compostable uh, plant-based film and also okay. compostable insulation on the top. That was our first generation. That's what I tapped into the market. It was something I created with a good friend of mine roughly about seven to eight years ago. Now we've transitioned into a starch-based compostable films, molded fibers that are post-consumer. So either we're compostable or it's recyclable. So that, uh, that, are... that top pillow then, if it's compostable, I could just put it into the, you know, with my leaves. Green waste. Yeah, my green yes. waste that gets picked up. Okay. Yes, industrial com industrial too. composting or home composting. You can actually open it up and place both of them into a home composting. Where are your factories? Okay. Livermore, California, Northern California. We also have one in New Jersey. We're opening up another in North Carolina also Cincinnati, and we're going to be expanding internationally. So Canada, Toronto area, also Europe, Germany, the UK, and uh, Australia. So there's a huge demand. We ended up partnering with a great outfit, and uh, we're going to be expanding with them, utilizing their manufacturing infrastructures to grow. 
and just to bring our products to the market much faster. The demand, especially with COVID, has quadrupled uh, the demand with shipping. So we're just continuously expanding and trying to reach everyone. Do you have any intellectual property protection on any of these inventions? Yes, yes. So I have uh, roughly 12 patents under my belt. I have about 29 patent applications, nine uh, PCTs, 31 international filings. We have a ton of continuances. One of the things that Veracool has done, and myself, I'm the innovator, I create all the designs, is we separated ourselves from the market focused on innovation. If you look at packaging, packaging really hasn't changed much in the past 30 years. So I came from distribution packaging, touching multiple different types of materials. So when I transitioned into cold chain, which only had styrofoam, metallized bubble, and polyurethane, I came with a much different mindset. Plus, I'm thinking outside the box, I don't have that typical status quo quote, packaging engineering background. So I look at things much differently than most. So I was able to just integrate and just really push the envelope. And Richard, as you said earlier, man, you're constantly pushing and pushing and pushing and you're fighting. And when you hear the no's and the things that can't be done, you don't listen to them. If you believe you can get it done, I look at it like we put someone on the moon. I can't make a box that's composable. Like, come on now. That doesn't make any sense. And then when you look at your employees, you, you realize that you can have to continuously innovate. You know, you're the conduit for their family to be successful, their children to be successful. So you just got to make it happen and figure it out. It's amazing. It's very inspiring. And you've gone a long way very quickly. And I think the time has come for this kind of technology. It seems like a win, 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 win win. Can people buy these from your website? Yeah. So what we've done is we tried to do some shipping, but you know, with COVID and so on in the shipping lanes, we're in retail stores, Save Mart, Lucky's, 7-Eleven, Circle K. We have some huge announcements with Albertsons coming up and we have some other distributors that are working with HEB, Tecate. You could do a lot of branding. So we're definitely, definitely pushing. We are the inventors. I don't know if you guys know that there was another cooler that came out after ours that claimed that they were the world's first. It was actually my invention. I created it with my kids in Maui on a vacation because Maui had banned styrofoam and they didn't have a solution. So if you see us, please pick us up. You're supporting a great cause. We take no federal or state subsidies for any of our employees. We don't want to minimize any of our employees to a dollar. We overpay our employees and we also have an internal system where we don't hire from without, we train from within. What I would like to say is then if you don't see it in your store and it should be in Whole Foods, my gosh, it's like the perfect fit, then ask them if they have it. And if they say no, ask them why not? And you can find it. It's very cool, but it's V-E-R-I-C-O-O-L packaging.com. So if you don't see it in your store, ask them for it. If you want a cooler, I don't tell this to everybody, just reach out to Veracool at infopackaging.com. And as long as you pay for the freight, I'll send you one for free. Oh, wow. That's a great offer. I think that's very generous. So we've come to the end of this segment. Absolutely fantastic and fascinating in every way. And we'll be back with more Passage to Profit with Richard Elizabeth Gearhart, our media maven, Coach Kenya, and our special guest, Richard Lau. Stay tuned. We have more to come. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not? make it you. If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventing A T 
T-O-Z.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We have had just an amazing show so far. So if you missed any of it, our podcast is out tomorrow. Really check these people out. I swear everybody on the show today just wants to help other people and they're doing things to help other people. And it's just amazing. I love seeing this. So anyway, we're on to our third presentation, Brad Simon and Travis Grubb. And they took what I think is a real problem specifically in this day and age and found a solution for it. So welcome guys, please tell us about it. We were in the vending space. We manufactured equipment and had a great run of it up until about January or February of this year. And things came to a grinding halt in the vending business. Vending requires people to be out and about and touching things. And that is what they're not doing. And so we had to pivot very quickly. And we found ourselves with uh, an opportunity to design and develop a product that would dispense masks to consumers without the need for the consumer to touch the machine. And so the touchless mask station is our product. And we're very excited with it. Have you been selling these yet? It must be fairly new, right? It is fairly new. We launched the product, uh, I think, in late June, early July. We have sold uh, quite a number of them. Where are they putting them mostly? It really comes down to wherever you find people congregating these days retail, transportation. In some cases, you put them in medical buildings. Um, A lot of them are going near choke points and buildings by elevators and commercial office buildings, for example. Now, that's absolutely great because I'm a mask wearer, of course. I don't do that much shopping, but when I do, I always forget my mask. And so the other day I was walking into the hardware store wearing a sweater over my nose. (laughs) If they had had a mask dispenser there, I would have gratefully, you know, swiped my finger and received a mask. Are you working with the government to try to get these mandated, at least the state governments, maybe not on a federal level, but a state or city level? to get these mandated? We're exploring all kinds of requests for proposals from various levels of government in Canada and the United States. All our masks are made in Canada right now. We are just starting to discuss with someone out of New Jersey, manufacturing in Mississippi. So there should be American-made masks in the machines for the U.S. very soon. The manufacturing supply chain for the masks is completely North American. There's no exposure to overseas supply chain on that. I'm going into the grocery store, for example, right? Mm -hmm. So I have, there's a vending machine with the Fritos and the Pepsi in it. And then it's there a vending machine for just your mask or the mask inside the vending machine with the other products that might be there? This is a specially developed vending machine, but 27 inches by 12 and a half by about six inches proud of the wall. It's typically wall mounted, although it can go on a stand and the masks are loaded into it on a large roll. So envision a big paper towel roll, but masks. And you go up, you tap your credit card, debit card, iPhone, what have you, without you physically touching the machine. And a mask essentially sort of pops out the bottom. The consumer reaches forward and tears it off the bottom of the machine, much like you'd pull away a piece of paper off a paper towel roll. Very simple, very straightforward, but there's uh, some cool technology. For example, all the machines have a cell phone embedded in them. And so they report their sales data in real time to their operators. The other thing to mention there too, is we do have an option with a sensor on the machine. So for a lot of businesses or malls 
or health facilities that want to give away the masks, the machine will do that as well. You walk up to it, uh, it's just a sensor system, and uh, it'll just dispense one mask for free. That's smart. There's so many businesses and entrepreneurs who are devastated by the COVID situation. And so this is a solution that is skipping over the free, but providing a solution to people who need a mask, need it right then, and are willing to pay. Certainly, you want to make this available to help people where you can, but you know we're entrepreneurs and we are looking to be compensated for our efforts. So someone purchases X number of these machines, a few dozen, for example, they're typically paying about 50 cents per unit for the masks delivered to them. And ordinarily, they're going to sell them in the machines for between about two and three dollars Canadian funds. If you look at the price of a mask at retail right now, you know, bricks and mortar retail, if you go buy five masks in a package, typically you're paying about nine dollars for those five masks. So going into a, a vending environment, tacking another 70 cents or dollar twenty to that cost that you pay, you know, retail bricks and mortar, that's considered very reasonable in, in the vending space. So you, you do the math in your head fairly quickly. If, if you're selling 10 or 15 masks a day from each of these machines, the ROI is actually very impressive. And to add to that, the vending business itself comes with certain benefits of low to no overhead, very little labor, you hold very little inventory. It's a pretty great way of getting yourself into business. Do you guys have any IP around the vending machines? Uh, we are uh, just putting in an application, but in Canada, that's a, a very slow process, a uh, couple of years at least. Definitely get a provisional in there. That yes. sounds like a great idea. That's right, Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're working on that. We've had some other products we've developed and we've kind of gone down that path. So we're, we're working on it right now. That's great. We recommend that everybody get intellectual property protection as soon as they can. In our our unbiased opinion. <laughs> yeah, since he's a patent attorney. <laughs> so what do you think the uh, life cycle for these vending machines are going to be and how long do you think they're going to be relevant? First of all, nobody really knows. You get a huge variety of answers depending on who you talk to. The best guidance we've had so far is to expect that masks will be very much a thing for between about two and a half to four years. And so it's not six months, it's not 12 months, it's a couple, three years at least. And we are exploring options to have people return the machines to us at the end of that life cycle, we might convert them into other uses and possibly they would get you know, credit towards other product that we have available, other machines that we've developed. Fantastic business plan. I never really appreciated the economics around vending machines until now. And sounds like a pretty good business model that you've worked out there. We appreciate you being on the show. How can people get in touch with you guys? Just check us out at touchlessmaskstation.com. Consumers, you can ask your grocery store wherever you go to install these. More Passage to Profit right after this. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can and protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Prof. 
nonprofit. This was a very altruistic show. Everybody on the show is trying to help other people be successful and not get sick. I think that's the case too, but I also think there's a lot of profitable companies out there too. So you so. can be altruistic and profitable. <laughs> I'm, Great total, combo. I'm totally into that. Absolutely. <laughs> so let me run through who was on the show. Of course, Richard, R. Gearhart at gearhartlaw.com, G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T. Kenya Gibson with a P, Kenya, G-I-P-S-O-N at iheartmedia.com. So if you want to do some advertising or investigate things with iHeart, or if you want to see if you can get on Charlemagne's podcast, <laughs> anything like that, go ahead and give a shout out to Kenya. And for our presenters, our guest was Richard Lau, and he can be reached at richard at logo.com. So he is helping people online. Get your logo online, get it quick, get a good one, newslogo.com. And he's got a lot of experience in navigating the minefields online, so he can help you with a lot of things. And then we had Jerry Ann Zan with littlegfchefs.com. So if your kid has food sensitivities and you want to have fun in the kitchen and make them feel better about themselves, her kids sound awesome. Like she's got one with a unicorn. And it's all yummy stuff too. <laughs> yeah. So yummy, yummy, yummy. And then we had Daryl Joe with very VeryCoolPackaging.com, V-E-R-I-C-O-O-L, Packaging.com. Really incredible company. So he not only makes recyclable coolers, so you don't need the styrofoam ones anymore, but he reaches into underserved places in society for people who can do the work but can't easily get hired. And he gives them jobs and puts them back on their feet. Absolutely. Amazing. That's really cool. Blown away. And then Brad Simon and Travis Grab. oh my gosh, thank you guys for keeping us healthy touchlessmaskstation.com so you can go somewhere hopefully soon they'll be all over the place here too and if you don't have a mask you just wave your credit card or tap it on this thing and a mask comes out and you don't have to touch the machine and nobody else is touched it reduces anxiety for those of us who forget to keep masks in our car so (laughs) thank you for that guys and then nobody has an excuse for going somewhere without a mask right so all excellent companies touchlessmaskstation.com look them up if they're not selling directly to the public as the places where you go to put their things in their stores. Absolutely. So before we leave, let's wrap things up a little bit. Richard, thanks so much for being on the show. Do you have any final thoughts for our audience? Absolutely. It's uh, been a great show. And as you said, uh, everyone here has an altruistic, helpful attitude. One of the things that I have always said is just be helpful and grow your network. And as an example of this, I'll be getting off this session and I will be reaching out to each and every one of my fellow presenters and reaching out on LinkedIn. What a great lesson. And I think that's true. If we look for ways we can help each other, then that's the best way to make connections. And so thank you so much for that. Kenya? Again, I just appreciate all the uh, information that was shared here today. And just to kind of piggyback off on Richard, you know, information is powerful and we should do as much as we can to help one another with the resources that we have. Noah Fleischman, who is our producer, takes all of this stuff and makes us sound great on the radio. So thank you, Noah. And I do have a favor to ask anyone listening and anyone here, if you could please subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're really trying to build our YouTube channel. It's Passage to Profit, The Inventor Show. 
And if you want to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Passage to Profit Show and Twitter at Passage to Profit. And then, of course, we have our podcast. So really love to have you follow us. If you want to be on the show, just let us know. If you're an entrepreneur, you've got a great business. If you're an accomplished business person who wants to share their knowledge and their story, Passage to Profit Show at gmail.com. That's the place to be. So this is Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart, Passage to Profit on iHeartMedia, WOR710, The Voice of New York.